tonight, um, you'll have to bear with me a little bit. I have a cold, and uh, my, my voice is kind of low, and it may be a little bit uh, different for you. If you were wondering who that great um, bass voice was just a little bit ago, that was me. Uh, I can really go low tonight. Uh, anyway... But I, listen, I want to tell you, and I want to thank you, before we get into the lesson, I want to thank you for uh, the way that you have responded to uh, the elders' request. Um, we have uh, quite a project ahead of us, and uh, you know, 20-some-plus years ago, when um, a much smaller congregation with a much smaller budget took on um, a very similar indebtedness, they were able to accomplish that. And uh, we're the beneficiaries of it sitting right here in this auditorium today. Um, I don't know what the next 30 years will hold or the next 20 years will hold, but I do suspect that people that um, may not be us will uh, benefit from the sacrifices that you have made. And and I just want to commend you for your giving and uh, to continue to budget. Uh, obviously, some of you have looked at your budget and said, we can we can do more. And if you haven't done that, do that prayerfully. Look at uh, your expenses and look at ways that you can, um, can, can you do more for this good work? And if you can, um, make that sacrifice and, and God will be glory, all to the glory of God in respect to that. Tonight I want to share with you a lesson on the thief on the cross. And I'll tell you what brought this all about. Last week I received a phone call. And uh, it, was a, it was a call that uh, caused me to think for quite some time. You see, a man called me that I knew probably, well, I've known all my life. haven't talked to him but once in the last 30 years. And uh, as I answered the phone the other night, it was him on the phone. He said, it's so-and-so, and... And uh, I noticed that his voice didn't sound quite uh, right. It, it, he had a difficult time speaking, seemed to be gasping for breath and uh, from time to time. And, and he said, Steve, I, I'm dying. And uh, I said, well, I was not aware of that. I'm sorry to, to hear that. And he said, uh, the doctors have given me um, so many days and uh, there's no hope. I'm, I'm going to die from this. And from that, he began to relay and to recount his life for me. This man was a deacon in the Lord's church. He had a family, he had a wife, he had children. And uh, there came a time in his marriage where uh, it was quite a blow to him and to the church and to everybody involved. His wife left him. She was having an affair with another man and, and uh, left him and destroyed their, their marriage, destroyed their home, um, just turned their world upside down. You don't enter into marriage thinking that uh, you, know, you, you, you plan to grow old together. You plan to raise your children together. You plan to be grandparents together. This didn't happen for him though I'm sure that was his dream and plan. She left him and married another man, and he was left devastated by that. He eventually marries a woman who uh, was herself divorced and um, 
with whom he said he was unfaithful to her. And uh, they divorced. And after that, he said, my life was just a, a, a wreck. I had um, been unfaithful and uh, I committed adultery countless times. I, I have just lived my life in a way that is shameful. And uh, I ended up marrying another man's wife again. And uh, he said, I'm going to... to leave her because I don't have a right to her. But he said, Steve, I've wasted my life and I've known better. I've been a Christian. I I know what the Lord did and what he expected of me. And there was a time in my life when I was faithful and I was a deacon in the Lord's church and I I preached the gospel. I, I preached many times and I threw it all away. And now I'm not long from death, I'm going to leave this world. And he said, is there any hope for me? Is, have I, what have I to offer God? I've wasted my life. I've hurt my family. I've disappointed people. I've thrown everything away. Is there any hope for me? Well, of course, I tried to assure him that there was, and I tried to share with uh, him some of the things that the Bible teaches and about forgiveness and grace and so forth. But um, that set me to thinking. And I began to think and re- reflect as, as I answered him that night on the phone, and then I talked to him again subsequently and actually even wrote to him and, and shared some thoughts. I, I wanted to prepare a case for him that would, if he would surrender to Jesus, that he could have hope. And um, there's a case to be made. And one of the things that I wanted to expound upon with him is what I want to share with you tonight. And it's the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is the central time and figure and event in history. It is the hub of human history. On the cross of Christ hung Jesus Christ, but also our hopes. Jesus, had he not gone to the cross, we would have no hope. We would stand condemned, guilty, unjustified before God. There would be no hope. We would be sentenced to a a devil's hell. But because of the cross, we have hope. And as monumental as that day is, here's my question. Why is there mention given? And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it now to Luke chapter 23. Why is there mention given to an irrelevant thief who was dying because of his sins? Why waste ink on him? I mean, this is the pivotal point in the history of humanity. Can we, do you think all has been said that could have been said about Jesus? Why spend precious ink on a guy that was dying the same day that Jesus died? And he was dying because he was a sinner and he deserved to to die. He was irrelevant in the scheme of redemption. The the main thing was that center cross and what was taking place there. So why is our attention diverted from that center cross to look over here 
and to consider this thief, this man who is an irrelevancy. Why is our attention taken that direction? I don't believe it was accident. And I don't believe it's a waste of ink that we have this little conversation given between this thief and Jesus. There's reason. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, rise to the level of that center cross. What took place there is our hope. But there are lessons to learn from the other crosses as well. And so that's what I want us to do tonight. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 23. And if you will, uh, just read with me in just... Um, <clears throat> well... Verse 39 beginning. Then one of the criminals who were, were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Son of, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Two thieves and Jesus hanging on crosses on the same day. Two of those men were there because they were sinners. One man, Jesus, was there because of their sins and your sins and my sins and the sins of everyone who has ever lived. And as they hung there, one of the thieves looked to Jesus and said, if you are who you say you are, well, get us down off of here. You know, rescue us. Do something. And the other thief spoke up in the defense of Jesus The other thief who earlier in the day, if you look at the other gospel accounts, who earlier in the day, he too was railing on Jesus. But something has happened. The text doesn't tell us what it was or what changed his mind about Jesus. But he went from someone who gave Jesus grief to someone who is now in defense of Jesus. Maybe it was the events of the day. Maybe it was the darkness of the sun. Maybe maybe it was conversations that were not recorded that he had with Jesus as they were hanging there on the cross and Jesus was talking to him about salvation. I don't know what it is, but I do know that this second thief now is no longer railing on Jesus, but he looks to that other thief and says, Listen, how dare you? How can you say this? We're here because we deserve this. He has done nothing wrong. He recognized him as the Christ. And he says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I don't know if he understood what he was saying by that request. I'm not sure I understand what he meant by his request. But he did reach out to Jesus. And Jesus assured him that um, today... You'll, you'll be with me in paradise. Here's what I want to do. I want us to look at those three crosses and see the lessons that we can learn from that account. First of all, of course, there's the cross of Jesus, and that's the central cross. It's on this cross that a man died for sin. He died for sin. The cross of Jesus was a demonstration of the depth of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how much he loves us, that he would give his son. Um, 
It, it, the, the salvation of man came at great cost. The depth of God's that he would give his own son so that we could live. So that those thieves that had no re- respect for life, the, those um, criminals who hung, or the, the Roman soldiers who hung Jesus to the cross and actually were to nail his hands and feet and plunge that spear into his side, he died for them. He gave his son for them. The cross of Christ tells us the depth of God's love. I love you, well, to the point that I'd I'd make this sacrifice for you. I'll give you my son. And what took place on the cross was forgiveness. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says that it's through the shedding of Christ's blood we have the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, you know, you go through there and he talks about the preaching of the gospel. And he said, you know, the cross of Christ, oh man, it is foolishness to the world. They think that's the silliest thing. You, you, you all believe that some guy dies on a cross 2,000 years ago and because he shed his blood that somehow that's going to mean that you go to heaven? That's crazy. Paul said... It's that foolishness that the world thinks is foolish. He said, it's by that we're saved. It's not foolish to us. It's the means for our salvation. In Ephesians 2 and verse 16, he talks about how the Jew and Gentile are brought together, reconciled to God in one body, the church. Look, look at the backgrounds here. We're all here for the same reason. We love Jesus. And so God brings us together with our varying backgrounds, Jew, Gentile, and whatever we have here. And we come together and we worship together and we serve the Lord together in one body. But it's in that one body we're reconciled to God by the cross. Ephesians 2 and verse 16. The cross of Jesus Christ is that center point of redemption. Without it, none of us would have hope. So that's the cross that tells me of the depth of God's love. Man, God loves me so much that he would give his own son. Would I give my son so that people could live? Well, maybe good people. What about evil people? I I don't know that I've gotten to that point. I don't think I could do that. But that's the depth of God's love. But let's move on to the second cross, the cross of this penitent thief. And on this cross, a man died to sin. You see, Jesus died for sin on his cross. Now this cross, there is a thief who is dying to sin. And the the message that is demonstrated from this cross is the scope of God's love. Jesus tells us of the depth of God's love. The thief tells us the scope. How willing you, how far are you willing to take this? I get it. You love us. I get it that you're willing to give your son, but for whom? Will you give it to a person that's wasted their life? Will you give it to a person who has nothing to offer you? Who has come to the end of their life and they've made a change? Will you give it to them? Will you give it to somebody in the eleventh hour? The answer to that is yes. That's the message of the thief's cross. That's the message that gives us hope. And that's the message I wanted this man to understand. You know, okay, I get it. You've wasted your life. And you're full of regrets. That's good. If you weren't full of regrets, there would be no hope. 
but you've come to the end of your life. Death, staring at face to face, has caused you to wake up. And now you're thinking about eternity. And you look back and you think, I have just, I've made a mess. And now what can I do? I mean, I'm too sick to do it. I I can't live for him anymore. I I can't go out and preach. I can't convert the lost. I can't, you know, uh, go door to door knocking. I I can't do all the things that I should have been doing during that time that I threw away. God, is, is there hope for me? And the thief on the cross says, yes, there's hope. Jesus looked to this man who was penitent and Jesus had the power while on earth to forgive sins and he could look over to him and say, you know what, you're forgiven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I see your change of heart. I know who you are. I know you're truly sorrow. Uh, sorry, I, I forgive you. The fact that Jesus died on the cross doesn't secure our salvation Titus 2 and verse 11 says, The grace of God that has appeared to all men bringing salvation. The gift of Jesus dying on the cross, well, it's like, you know, it's salvation. And Jesus says, here it is. I did it. It's yours. But we have to take it. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1, it says, Don't receive the grace of God in vain. There are people that will take that gift that God has given, the gift of his son, and do nothing with it. They won't be saved. We have to respond. And this thief had nothing to offer God but an apology. And it was enough. Will God forgive us if we waste our lives? And in the 11th hour of our life, we wake up and say, I have been so foolish. Will God forgive a Christian who says, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Yes. Will God take a person who's never obeyed the gospel of Christ and and they've wasted their life and they obey the gospel of Christ? Will God forgive them knowing that they have nothing to offer? They've waited too long. They've, I mean, in essence, they have nothing to offer. It's just a matter of days, weeks before they're gone. There's a host of verses in the Bible that tell us it's not hopeless. Um, Look at Lot, a man who pitches his tent towards Sodom. He loses his children because of that decision, most of his children. Two of them are saved. They go to the mountains. He loses his wife because she looks back, and he goes to the mountains, and he commits incest with his daughters, has children from this incestuous relationship. And those two children that are born are the fathers of the Ammonites and the Moabites that have given Israel such... I mean, he was the cause, the source of such grief to Israel. But do you know the New Testament refers to... Peter refers to Lot as a righteous man. How can a man like that be righteous? Because God forgives. David, look at his life. Murders commits adultery, uh, you know, tries to cover it up, hide it, abuses his authority and power as king. Uh, there's a whole list of things we could go through. He's a man after God's own heart because he was penitent. 
And we can go down the line. Look at Rahab, listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as a great lady of faith. But she was a prostitute, a lying prostitute. But she's forgiven because she acted in faith toward God. Can we come to the end of our life? Matthew 20, verses 1 through 11 talks about how that uh, there are men out and, and they're hired and some work all day long uh, to get paid and then some come in a little bit later and they work the rest of the day and they get paid and some and some come in at 5 o'clock and they work one hour and they get paid. And the people didn't like it that had to work all day for that price. And he said, listen, what, our deal was fair. I mean, that was a fair wage for a day's worth of work. Why would you be upset? Because I'm gracious to somebody else. We shouldn't be upset with the grace of God. The thief, did he throw away his life? Sure sounds like it. He's dying. He's of no value, no use to God. He's going to die for his sins. He has nothing to offer but an apology. And God forgave him. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then there's our story. How many people have we known who have wasted their lives? How many of us, as we look at our lives, look at our lives and say, man, I, there's so many things I'd do differently. If I had another chance, I'd do it all different. But we have blown opportunity after opportunity. We have committed sin after sin, same sins over and over again. We've, we've wasted, we've failed God so many times. Can you wake up and say to God, forgive me. I'll surrender myself to your plan, to your purpose. Will you forgive me? The answer to that is yes. And that's the scope of God's love. And I want you to look at that third cross. Because on that cross hung the impenitent thief. On that cross a man died in sins. See, we have three. Jesus died for sins. The penitent thief died in, uh, to sin, and this man died in sin. He, and that cross and the message that it demonstrates for me is that this thief had a choice. The love of God is free to accept or reject. God uh, doesn't force himself on us. And, uh, you know, have you ever heard the statement, there are no atheists in, in uh, foxholes? It's not true. You know, when, when it comes, what that means is that when it comes down to right, left, or, or I mean, right, you know, do we live, do we die? When it comes right down to that, everybody believes in God. No, they don't. Oh, some people do. But there are some people that are so hardened by sin that they still lift a defiant fist to heaven and, and they die in that condition and... And this is the case here. This thief is dying and he's right beside the Savior. And he has a defiant fist in the air. Um, it can happen. We can turn away from God and we can refuse to accept his grace. I remember the story in Mark chapter 10 of that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and, and he says, good master, what must I do to eternal, uh, inherit eternal life? And he said, well, keep the commandments. What commandments? Well, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, you know, go through those. And he said, well, I've done those from my youth up. What lack I yet? 
And Jesus said, well, you got to sell all you have and give to the poor. And he had great riches. And the Bible says, with hearing that, he just turned and walked away from Jesus. And you know what? Jesus didn't chase him. He didn't run after him and say, whoa, 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 wait a second, don't leave, don't leave. Uh, we'll work out, just, you know, let, let's work on that a little bit. You don't have to, let's, don't, don't walk away. Jesus let him walk away. He doesn't force his love on us. He loves us. The, the passage says in Mark 10 that Jesus beheld him, looked at him, and loved him, but he would not force himself on him. And the thief on the cross that was impenitent is a reminder that God's love is free. You can take it or leave it. Jesus didn't force himself on this man who was dying in his sins. He had the same opportunity to accept it and to receive salvation as the other thief did, but he refused to accept it. And so there are three crosses. That central cross, that's the crux of history. That's where our sins are forgiven. That's where our hope is tied into. But Please don't, don't treat the cross of the thief who turned to Jesus with regrets. Don't view that as irrelevant. Don't view it as just another argument about baptism either. the Bible tells us what the plan of salvation is. We know a will goes into effect when, you know, the death of the testator. And, and when Jesus died, we need to meet the terms of his pardon. But the thief on the cross and the message of the cross is not about baptism. It's about the scope of God's love. It's about, yeah, you have wasted your life and you have nothing left to offer me. But I forgive you. Have we wasted our life? I hope that my friend can find some peace. He's making changes. He's turned from his sin. He's trying to right the things that he's done wrong. He's trying to talk to his family and to uh, give them some sense of comfort because they're concerned about him. If he turns to God and says, I've been foolish... And I've wasted my life. And I'm really too sick now to offer you anything. Can you forgive me? The answer is yes. Look at the thief. He had nothing to offer. But he offered God his heart. And it was enough. And when we turn to God in penitence and say, Lord... Tell me what to do and I'll do it. He'll forgive us as we complete that that obedience. Maybe someone here tonight is looking at their life and they're saying, I've made such a mess. I've hurt people. I've destroyed families. I've hurt and destroyed my reputation. I don't know. Is there any hope for me? A number of years ago, I, I, there's a man that I know, and he had been unfaithful for a number of years, walked away from the church. He knew better. He was a Christian. And he walked away, and because of that, he feels like he had led his children astray and led others astray. And, and he said to me, I go to church, but I have no expectation of being saved. 
I'm going to do right and live the rest of my life the best I can and serve Jesus because I owe it to him, but I have no expectation of salvation. I've made too many mistakes. I've hurt too many people. I don't think I can be saved, but I'm going to do my best to live for him. Such a shame. God doesn't want us to live that way. He's a God of grace. He's a God that makes us marvel at his grace. In the Old Testament, Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, and we'll close with this, Micah 7 and verse 18, Micah looks at the redemptive activity of God and he says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of your people. I just, I can't believe that you would forgive as you forgive. But he does. And that's why we sing the song, Amazing Grace. Man, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's what God can do. The thief on the cross reminds me of the scope of God's love. And if you're here tonight thinking, there's no hope. I've made too many mistakes. I don't know that I can ever make up. Well, you can't. You can't. That's why God's gracious. If you need to access the grace of God tonight, if you've never obeyed the gospel, you need to do what Jesus said in order to receive that grace. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. If you've not obeyed him, then do that tonight. In so doing, you haven't earned anything. But you've just simply done what he told you to do in order to receive salvation. If you need to be baptized into Christ tonight, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and, and it's been nagging at you, I, I don't know. Am I saved? Can I be saved? Have I done too much? Is God through with me? He's not. Humble yourself. Don't be like the thief on the cross that lifts his fist in defiant rebellion. Humble yourself and turn to him. And the Lord will have a place for you too in paradise. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.